It's Tuesday, the 24th of January, 2017. I am Robin Yellow, and this is Tectasm, episode 44. Cyber doctors prescribe fake news vaccine. And with me again is Mr. James Woodall. Hello, 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 Mr. Yellow. How are you? Very good. It feels like we only spoke... 10 minutes ago. Yep, almost like it did. Yep. Well, this week, James, we're going to take a look at a Cambridge University study suggesting immunisation against fake news, South Korea's mad 700-mile-an-hour train, and Microsoft are positively, finally done with their phone, probably. And we'll be judging these stories and a couple of others to tell you if they are a tectasm, which is a blend of tech for technology and tasm for phantasm, something existing only in a person's mind. So without further waffle... James, let's get on with the show. So fake news has been in uh, the news a lot recently, um, especially regarding the election of Donald Trump um, and various things regarding Brexit and so forth. And a group of Cambridge scientists, according to our favourite nameless journal droid at the BBC. Um, eggheads. Yeah, uh, the eggheads. Yes, definitely. I knew you had to get that in somehow have developed a vaccine to immunise people against the problem of being susceptible to fake news. And um, basically what they've done is they've figured out that by providing a series of warnings and misinformation, the fake news um, is uh, has less resonance. People are less susceptible to the fake news. Uh, the question is, though... If that's what it takes to immunise people haha, against fake news, um, is it actually in the interest of the websites that put on the fake news to put the warnings there? Well, it to... wouldn't be, would it? So the, the only way you could possibly do this is by intercepting the fake news and amending it or altering it or doctoring it to add these warnings uh, of and misinformation to reduce the impact of the fake news. And, of course, one of the things that we cherish... Uh, very uh, um, highly is the fact that the net can be used by anybody for anything uh, yes and of course if it can be used for good it can also be used for abuse so I'm not too sure if uh, whoever which boffin Dr. Sander or, van der Linden yeah of course him um, uh, I, don't, I don't actually know if this is the, quite the right thing I mean obviously Facebook have been talking about how they're going to assist with the whole fake news thing by putting in warnings and, you know, deprioritizing news that is fake. Um, and, of course, Facebook's one of the places where there was, in fact, a lot of fake news being distributed, especially by some elected public officials. I'm not too sure. That, this just feels very academic to me. I don't quite see... I think people want to trust the news, uh, but they also want it to reflect their values. So people that read The Telegraph want to trust that The Telegraph isn't going to stiff them over with fake news. But they want it to reflect a right-wing conservative view. Um, and I think that unbiased news sources, like perhaps the BBC, uh, that we are, of course, reading this article from, mm-hmm. um, will have a certain clientele. And, you know, fake, fake news sites uh, will have uh, another clientele that actually want to read fake news. They may want to not talk about it or hide it away, but they probably know that what they're looking at is fake. And if it is so well done that it isn't fake, by interfering with it and actually putting a warning that this may contain fact, uh, f- uh, may, may, may contain factual inaccuracies, 
um, I don't think will alter it much. And I, so it's a very difficult. So I think for Facebook, who have got a walled garden, they might be able to pull this off. But this has the whiff of a tectasm to me. Yeah, I mean, it's all very nice and academic. But in reality, nobody who is a purveyor of fake news is ever going to advertise themselves as fake news. Um, and people who are going to be susceptible to believe what's given to them anyway, if it follows their agenda, they're going to believe it. So... You're right. Let's move on. In Habitat reported this week, South Korea have unveiled plans for a near supersonic hypertube train. Now, the government-run Korea Railroad Research Institute is working on a speedy, speedy Hyperloop-esque train that could travel as fast as 1,000 kilometers per hour in the not-too-distant future. Now, it looks like, to me... Uh, James, I think you beautifully described it as a space rocket on its side uh, yes. and kind of connected to a, a maglev track with a massive jet engine on the bottom or some kind of thruster on the bottom uh, and and a passenger compartment on the inside and, crucially, a little logo on the front of it. Of course. I mean, Virgin are prominently there. I mean, look, the cynic in me says, is this just a marketing exercise for Virgin? I don't know. Mm. Well, the Korea Times noted that this hypertube technology is, of course, very similar to the Hyperloop technology first proposed by Elon Musk and under current development by a couple of competing companies. But, of course, it uses very traditional technology like maglev and big rockets. So, in a way, uh, hasn't it got more chance of becoming a reality than, than Hyperloop, which requires these gargantuan evacuated tubes you know a that's very technically difficult to do b it's got to be airtight c you, you nobody's done it you know whereas maglev there are maglev systems all around the world i think what's perhaps different here is uh, different here is that rather than relying on a linear motor to provide the forward thrust they've they've clearly got this massive jet engine uh, yeah i guess look there's definitely a future in trains Obviously, people need to yep. be looking at things beyond coal, diesel, and you know the current things that use for trains. It's very interesting. Uh, I don't know. I mean, today is it anything more than just a nice little drawing with a Virgin logo? Well, it is because there is a picture, of course, of the uh, Korean superspeed maglev. It's even got a code name, Suma Five Fifty Zero One, at the top. So this is a photo taken, obviously, a press press gig that was going on there. The slightly concerning thing is, why is it written in English? Um, that must be to attract. Why not written in Korean, A? And B, it looks like a little runty train, which doesn't look anything like the renderings uh, with the Virgin logo on. Side. Well, 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 are you telling me that marketing and reality are different? I am. I am. No. It's, uh, I, I, I don't know how to call this one, James. I'm going to leave it to you. Um, I'm going to say this is not a tectasm because the future of trains is definitely something we should be considering. So okay. I've got a feeling that this might actually be a real thing at some point in the future. Okay, what's next? Uh, what's next? Well, Peter Bright, my favourite website, Ars Technica, are talking about Minecraft and specifically how Microsoft, who own Minecraft, are no longer supporting Windows Phone and Windows Mobile. Which, um, I mean, we've spoken many times about the future of Windows Phone and Windows Mobile. But what's really interesting here is Microsoft, on one hand, preached to their developer community and say, hey, guys, you must make these UWP, Universal Windows Platform, applications. And if you do that, the app with very little customization will run on Windows, Windows Mobile, Xbox One, HoloLens, etc., etc. 
And Microsoft, on the other hand, are saying, yeah, we're not going to support our own platform. Because, of course, there is a Minecraft for Windows 10. Um, and they have demonstrated a Minecraft for HoloLens. And, of course, there's a Minecraft for Xbox One. But they're ignoring their own very own Windows Phone platform. So, uh, interesting. What's your take on this? Well, here's a look at Windows Phone or Windows 10 Mobile is that they've got Windows 10 proper for ARM coming up, which is was announced with the new Snapdragon 835 chip, the Redstone 3 code project, where there's going to be a device with a full version of Windows 10 compiled for ARM, which will run legacy Win32 apps uh, under emulation because the chip is fast enough to do it, or maybe it's got some special hooks. We talked about that in a previous episode. So I suspect what they're doing is they're looking at here at the number of different versions of Minecraft on different platforms that they've got and saying, well, actually, which is the one which is used the least? This one, well, can it? Now, that's a perfectly good commercial decision, right, James? You'd agree with that as a uh, f- former CEO? Well, uh, yeah, I would agree with that, but um, it's their own platform. You know, you've got to have some love for your own, for your own platform. I mean, they're even updating the Fire OS version more than they are the Windows. And I know we can argue about how Fire OS runs on Alexa, but I, you know, I don't think you'll be using Alexa to play Minecraft anytime soon. No, you're absolutely right. But but how about this? What do you think of this? Maybe what they're trying to do is enterprise up Windows 10 on a mobile device. They're actually saying, well, look, we want to remove frivolous games like Minecraft, even though it's our own, from this platform to make it hot for enterprise, enterprise only. What do you think? Um, okay, that that would make sense. The problem is, yes, and I know I'm being a negative Nancy uh, with this, but there's no clear indication. Why don't they just say that? You know, than all these little they can't. Games. They can't because that would make be massive front page news. As it is, it's made you know quite a good article here in Ars Technica, but it isn't front page news. So I think actually they've been quite canny. No tectasm here, though. I don't. Uh, yeah, we've spoken many times about Microsoft Windows Phone. Let's just move on. Well, Fast Company reported this week that uh, Chromebooks aim to finally con- uh, crack the consumer market in 2017 well, well, well. are you literally saying that 2017 is the year of the linux desktop it is no yeah. no no uh, it is well I, look james oh. you know that uh, i have a big love for google's lightweight laptop uh, and they're already a hit with education but a bigger push um into retail consumer um, and perhaps even enterprise possibly is coming now lenovo's head the reason why this is a story because jared newman has reported that Lenovo's head of Chromebooks, um, Jeremy Meredith, is the company's vice president and general manager of Android and Chrome computing, says that more Lenovo Chromebooks are coming soon. And while Google's lightweight laptops have already uh, they've already dominated the education market, market, Meredith believes that the consumer business is about to flourish as well. Now, there is a reason for this. Um, now, Lenovo uh, talked about they've got a, some, a new wave in March and then one in September coming up this year. Who cares? But I think there is a good reason for this. Now, um, uh, there is a feature of Chromebooks which is coming in 2017, which is the ability to run Android apps. Now, while this has been launched already on a small number of Chromebooks in 2016, Meredith expects them to become more broadly available in 2017. In fact, in fact, Google announced today that all Chromebooks launched in 2017 will be compatible with Android apps. 
Now, these apps, this makes Chromebooks more interesting to a mainstream audience because all the apps and services people have on their phones will become accessible on a Chromebook. Uh, is that Would that be an attraction to you, James? I don't know. I'm, see, I'm a different user. I code, and coding on a Chromebook doesn't really exist. So, Well, is there, well is there a, uh, there's unlikely to be an app, an Android app for coding, is there? Uh, well, yes, yeah, this is true. And not being, I'm the wrong person to ask. You know, you know, I've drunk the Apple Kool Aid. Um, yeah. Well, um, interestingly enough, in the third quarter of 2016, Chromebooks made up 54% of computer shipments to the K-12 classrooms in the United States, according to IDC. But they've been less disruptive in the consumer market, where IDC expect them to take just 6% of the U.S. laptop shipment market in 2016. But that is up from 4% in 2015. So by using my incredible math powers of mathematics, statistics, and forecasting, they should get 8% of the market in 2017. Is that is that respectable? I don't know. It doesn't sound it. It doesn't. It's a bit of a letdown. I mean, single figures. But come on, the year of the Linux desktop... Every year is the year of the Linux desktop. I know, I and know what you mean. How many times- it's really down to the impact of these Android apps, though, James. That's the thing. So what can you do on an Android app? Right, we've got a Chromebook in our household which can run... A Chromebook? You have... You have, you have they're coming out the walls. <laughs> we have got a lot of Chromebooks, but we've only got one which can run the Android apps in production mode. That's a Chromebook R11, owned by my wife. Now... Um, she ran one app on it, which was her podcasting app, uh, so that she could listen to podcasts on her, on her Nexus 5 device um, and listen to it on her desktop as well. But she said, quotes, it slowed the, op- uh, slowed the laptop down, so she removed it and removed the Play Store and didn't want to play uh, use any of the Chrome apps. That's really interesting, that, because I've got, a, I've got an Apple Watch. I don't mean to bring this onto Apple, but there's a serious point to this, uh, this, this whole speech. Um, I have not installed a single third-party app on my Apple Watch because I really appreciate what's first-party on there and I don't feel the need to want to do anything else. So what I say is what's really attractive about a Chromebook is the great Chrome experience. It's a good web browser. Make it an OS. Therefore, are they just stretching themselves? Is it just a bit of a kind of... a, A bit of a not really, you know, a kind of bit of a Me Too feature or... I don't know. I think it has the whiff of we've done it because we can and that it kind of represents their core values of being technically excellent. Uh, And to be honest, they did. They were using the Arc uh, uh, Android runtime client or whatever it was called, emulator or whatever it was, um, which allowed them to um, uh, emulate uh, Android in the Chrome operating system. They then subsequently changed that for a more um, containerized approach where they compiled the the native APK just runs because ultimately, of course, Android itself is Linux as well as Chrome OS, which is Linux. Um, the APK would run natively and they just re-engineered all the API calls to the operating system to mimic it was on an Android device. So they were actually quite canny in the way that they uh, the, the, they approached this. They, um, so it, technologically, it's a very good solution. But given that my only experience of it on this Chromebook R11 has, through my wife's experience, which is, who's a regular user who has got no skin in any game whatsoever, um, was poor. I don't know how... I think, it, I think their plans for growth in 2017 are pinned to something which may which may not work 
So I, it's got the whiff of a tech tasm well, to me. Uh, to me, the question is 2017, the year of the Linux desktop. It is. It's a tech tasm, isn't it, James? Let's move on. Okay. Well, finally, Mac rumors Judy Clover is talking about Apple and in house charging. Now, normally here at Tech Tasm. In house charging? In house, yes, as in in house, as in they're going to develop their own inductive wireless charging uh, rather than using energies who they were hinted at before now this is a rumor and generally on tech tells we don't talk rumors however there are a couple of interesting diagrams from filed patents or patents depending on which side of the pond you're on so i thought we'd cover that this one this week and effectively what um, what the rumor is is that apple are moving away from the energy style um inductive charging through uh let me just get my notes here through radio waves which is what energy uses and they want to move to magnetic coils and what what that allows them to do is do things like for example have devices that stack on top of each other so they can charge through one another so for example a lap an ipad sitting on top of a macbook and sitting on top of the iPad is a phone, and all three of, well, the iPad and the phone can charge each other. Which is, I guess you have to buy into the Apple ecosystem. Which Okay, so you can already, if you've got USB, e- e- either Type A or Type C, you can charge your phone, can't you, off your, f- your laptop's battery. Correct. Um, and the same with your watch, I guess. So, so what this is doing is making this just a little bit, taking a little bit of friction out of that process yeah. by saying if you lay your Apple Watch on the corner of your laptop, your MacBook, uh, then it will charge it up. Yeah, but I don't think I like the practicality of that because if you're typing, it get in the way. Oh, yeah. So this would be, you know, you just need an emergency charge and you haven't got... I think... How does it work, James? You get a little uh, cradle, do you, for your for your watch? Um, yeah, well, there's, there's like a little magnet. Um, it, it, it's like a magnetic charger that clips onto the back of the watch and covers the heartbeat sensor, and that connects to a USB. So it's completely magnetic, and so it's inductive charging there. Um Oh, it's okay. So it's already got the the one half of the inductive charging system built into the watch already. Yes. So what they're saying is hide the gubbins that is in the kind of shoe plate, the little yes. uh, cradle inside the MacBook, so that you can just dump your watch on onto the just to the right of the mouse pad, and it will click into yeah, place. I, look, I, I'm, this is this is the negative James today. My particular watch strap is a metal loop that couldn't expand out, as in the diagram, to rest. So if I put my watch on the table, the strap is in the way because Uh. of the way the strap is. And this is an Apple strap. So this would only work if the strap detached from itself into two halves, which my watch strap doesn't do. Or you had the cheap rubbery watch strap. Yeah, which which is what what it comes with. To be fair, the strap I've got was a was an upgrade. Um, yeah, okay. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if they did this. I mean, this is just this is I think very much in the Apple philosophy, isn't it? To remove even the tiniest of niggles, get rid of all the ports, get rid of all the niggles, make it all neat and clean. Um, and and the advantage of this, I suppose, 
to an Apple user like yourself is that you know you've got your iPhone and your and your watch and your MacBook, um, and you can if your watch is flashing low power, you can just slap it on the corner, get a little boost, and you're off and running again. And the same with the phone. Yeah, very um, true. I mean, they are. So you know, it kind of makes sense, right? It's the kind of thing you can imagine Johnny Ive doing. So yeah, this is true. They are talking about in the article about how the iPhone 8 is going to have a glass screen, which lends itself quite well to the type of charging that they're discussing in this article. So all of the stars in the rumours are lining up. Let's just hope the rumours are correct. This maybe is an iPhone 8 thing. We will find out in mm-hmm. September. quick one this week james so that is all now listeners you can find us at facebook.com slash techtasm subscribe in the usual places or contact us at feedback at techtasm.com we record every tuesday at 2100 bst gmt so watch out for next week's exciting episode this is me sir robin yellow and me mr james woodall asking the question on your behalf is it real or is it just a techtasm (laughs) 